2: Love Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton with Philip Matthew tonight as we bring you another episode of Talking in Circles. Kevin Harvick, he goes to Homestead for the third straight year. He will be racing for the championship at Homestead after his victory at Texas Motor Speedway in the AAA Texas 500 on Sunday afternoon. He led 119 of the race's 334 laps. He beat his teammate, Erica Marola, and Daniel Suarez. Joe Logano and Alex Bowman rounded up the top five. A lot of drivers had some issues in the race. Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, just to name a couple. We'll also talk about what that what that race meant for them uh, and who will be racing for with Kevin Harvick at Homestead after this weekend at Phoenix with Kevin Harvick uh, and Martin Chex Jr., who else will be running for the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway in the Cup Series. Also NASCAR Xfinity Series race, Chris Rebel won the victory lane We'll discuss that as well. Truck series, will preview that. Also, Luke Lambert, new job for 2020. Kind of a surprise. He will be crew chiefing Chris Busher's number 17 Ford next season at Rosh Fenway Racing. He's got a little ties there with Ryan Newman, his former driver. And of course, we'll talk about, I'll dive in a little bit to Roger Penske and what it means for NASCAR buying uh, IndyCar and ISN, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Plus, we'll dive in we'll take your phone calls. Nine one seven, eight eight nine eight two eight zero here. Also, Bubba Wallace, uh, he had a, a interesting weekend this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway getting a lot of play after he spun and caused an issue. uh and really what I think uh cost Kyle Larson a chance at a chance at uh, not victory, but a chance at running in the top ten, and really maybe a chance at, at running for the championship uh, by um, you know costing him track position there. And we'll take your phone calls 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking Circles. But first, we'll dive into the Triple A Texas 500 and Kevin Harvick fill up a a very impressive win for that uh, number four team this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, Harvick fell to the back due to a speeding penalty, due to a pit road penalty, excuse me. Uh, but was able to rally his way back to the front and really uh, puts himself in homestead for the third straight year. And I don't think anybody would be surprised if Harvick went out and won a championship. It's not been as good a year as it was last year. It's probably not his best season, but yet here we are. Uh, the goal for this four team was to get the homestead and have a chance at the championship. Here they are. They they accomplished that goal by winning Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway. What were your thoughts there with Kevin Harvick and really the whole Stuart Haas team. Uh, Amarola finished second. That was one of them. Amarola's best runs probably all year. Same thing with Daniel Suarez and even Clint Boyer. He led 36 laps and had a strong car until he got pinned on pit road with Kyle Larson due to the Bubba Wallace spin and lost a lap. Was never really able to gain his track position back. But a nice solid day for Stuart Haas Racing who really have struggled at times this year. So a good top three run for uh, for those cars. But what about Kevin Harvick and advancing the homestead? What do you think
2: about that? Yeah, I mean, on a weekend where uh, his owner and good buddy went and drove a cup car for the first time since retiring from the Cup Series and drove it at the Circuit of the Americas, uh, Kevin Harvick went and tied Tony Stewart and win with forty nine. And I honestly have a feeling the way he's been performing that not only will he pass Tony. This year, I think I would favor him to win the next two races and win his second championship and pass, well, now it's Hall of Famer, going to be Hall of Famer, Tony Stewart, and two Hall of Famers and Ned, gentleman, Ned Jarrett and, and Junior Johnson. Uh, the performance, you know, leading 119 laps, uh, him and him and the 10 car, Eric Almore was one of his best races he's had. Uh, not only this year, but really ever, Uh, you know, and and it doesn't happen all that often for Eric Almirola to be up there and really be a contender. Of course, Suarez even looked good, but the new sponsor there um, may or may not have saved his job with that performance. We don't know. We'll see. Um, They're probably going to be waiting till the last minute on that call, especially with the front row Motorsports team still kind of in flux also with uh, the 32 car, but Stuart Haas performance, the way they ran on Sunday was similar to what they did last year with the low down force, high horsepower package. But Kevin Harvick, there's one, con- there's one con- con- continuous thing. There's, there's continuity here. It started when Tony hired Kevin Harvick and got rid of Newman. he, Said to Kevin Harvick, I'm hiring you so you can win your championship and we're going to get you the best people possible. He got Rodney Childers out of NWR, the, the crap hole that is NWR. And the two of them together have won 26 races since the start of 2014. And they probably left a lot more on the table um, over all that time. Uh, this, this win on Sunday just solidifies, you know, getting to Homestead. Uh, but there are the, I honestly think that I would give a slight edge uh, to Kevin Harvick. Um, it sounds crazy considering how Martin Truex has done theoretically across the entire year. Um, if you're going to go into who may get there as well. But in the end, you know, Kevin Harvick's been in this spot before, won at Phoenix to get himself in and then go and win at Homestead. And they've been – we talked about this offline that I think Kevin Harvick has been the best car really in the second half of this season. The first half of the year, I think we spent the first two-thirds of the regular season every week talking about what's wrong with Kevin Harvick, what's wrong with Stewart I. And on the last cookie-cutter track they run before they go to the championship race, which is also a one-and-a-half-mile racetrack, uh, all the Stuart cars were up there, all had something to do with the the race. They all led. Uh, Clint Boyer was tailback, but he came up front and led. I think it's a good sign for uh, the 14, knowing that all hands are on deck for him to win when you know that more than likely the Toyotas are probably going to have they definitely have one, possibly two, and even three uh, going to Homestead here uh, in a couple weeks' time. So I mean, credit to Kevin Harvick, win number yeah. forty-nine. Bye and Tony, um, big weekend for Tony, and uh, you know it's gonna be a big deal for them. They may be that that oddity team, you know, the way that Joey Logano was last year, and we know what Joey Logano did. So. Uh, Kevin is right. in a better spot than that.
1: They're peaking at the right time. There's no question about that, Philip. You know, when you look at where he started this year, it took him 20 races to get his first win this season. He won at Loudoun. that was his first win of the year, and since then he's won four, you know, four races since Loudoun. So that's four in the last 15. Um, and they're peaking at the right time. You know, like I said, uh, you got to win at Michigan, you got to win at in Indianapolis, and then. The win at Texas, and it was really an impressive win. Now, he always runs good at Texas. He always really runs good at Phoenix. So these are racetracks into his wheelhouse. But still, I think that 14, uh, when you're looking at what they've done on these mile-and-a-half tracks, Las Vegas, they finished runner-up there. Uh, like I said, they won at Michigan. That's sort of a cookie-cutter track. Kansas, they had a decent run there. Uh, Texas, they won. So, you know, these cookie-cutter racetracks have sort of been their bread and butter here of late. Um, and and they really ran good, and, and we'll see if they can translate that over to Homestead. Homestead's a completely different race. I think you had some drivers and teams, maybe like the, the 78 car, trying to do something different a little bit this weekend. Um, since they, they were – or the 19 car, excuse me, I always, I always do. That yeah, Uh, The 19 car doing something a little bit different this weekend because they were locked in at Homestead, but still a, a solid weekend Um. For, for the Stuart Haas racing team. I think you touched on it. You know, Suarez, I might have maybe saved this job. Amarola just feels good for Amarola to up there lead some laps. Uh, all four uh, Stuart Haas cars led a good significant amount of the race, and Amarola hadn't had a top five
2: uh, since,
1: other than Talladega, you know, since uh, – hold on, still going – since Phoenix last time we were there. So uh, it was a huge, huge um, momentum boost for him. He's got to be feeling good. They've really had a tough – uh, as good as Harvard's been in the second half of the year, Amarola's been just, just as rough they haven't had, other than this, the plate tracks, they haven't had a top 10 before Texas uh, since Sonoma. And and before that, it was Pocono the first time we went around to Pocono. So it's been a long time since they've really caught on and really run good on, on these what, what we call our cookie cutter, our bread and butter racetrack. So a nice job there by that 10 team as well leading a chunk of laps. And you talked about uh, Suarez, he's had a tough year as well, but a nice, solid run for him. But really this race fell up early on especially. It came down to, I, I guess you could call them mistakes or, you know, mishaps for drivers on the racetrack. And, and, you know, it started early, lap nine, Chase Elliott lost control of his number nine car, hit the outside wall, and, you know, really put him into a you – now he was in a tough situation to begin with because of what happened uh, the week before at Martinsville where he had the uh, – the, the issue there with the, with the track bar, but now he puts himself into a obviously a must win situation this weekend at Phoenix. Uh, it's been a decent year for Chase Elliott, you know. Obviously, the 9 car would like to be better on a mile and a half, but um, I think everybody thought maybe that was Chevrolet's best chance to win a championship. And right now, um, he's he's in a win or go home situation at Phoenix. What are your thoughts on Chase Elliott's short? Really, he can. He, I'll say this, you know, I'll give him credit because they continued. He went out there a lot of laps, and it really um, points-wise, you know, paid off for him. Sure, you say, well, he only got five points, but you know, he would have been down in the ones or, or the zero category there uh, had he not gotten going. So he was able to gain four points, but really at this point, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but you know, pride, I guess you can say too, running out there and completing all uh, as many laps as they could. But a short afternoon for Chase Elliott, uh, as far as competitive standpoint was concerned. What were your thoughts? On that, and, and really, all, a lot of the carnage we saw early on in that race. The first stage, we saw six cautions. Uh, Corey LeJoy got into wreck on lap 44. Uh, Brad Kislavski looked like some, maybe some oil or something, but he lost control. His number two car, ending what's been a really tough uh, last couple of races for that two team. Uh, LeJoy again wrecked, and then it was Denny Hamlin, who uh, another yeah. incident which we'll get into a little bit later. But what about that nine car specifically, Philip? and the early accidents we saw here at Texas Motor Speedway?
2: I mean, I'm no fan of Texas Motor Speedway. I've been, if you listen, if you, anyone listens to this, whoever listens to this or has listened to me before, I'm no fan of Texas Motor Speedway. I've been very often about, um about Eddie Goosage and the fact that his tracks are dumped. Uh, turns one and two... They've had issues with turns one and two from the moment this track opened. When they had reverse transitions in and out of the corners, I think your original race, the first race, they had a wreck, like a 15-car wreck in turns one and two. Uh, Ernie Irvin was involved. That's how I remember it. That that's why. But Chase Ellie, just bringing it back to this, turns one and two, you know, bit a lot of drivers. They've been biting drivers and all these stock cars Race is there, whether it's a truck, Xfinity, or cop. And for Chase Elliott on lap 12, 10, you know, go and wipe himself out uh, is not good. <laughs> Definitely not in the script, you know, for people that want to go and say that they want to fix it for Chase. they tell you, old Clyde didn't go and write out that script because. You wreck ten laps into a race; it's going to take nearly four hours. It's a bad, bad idea. Um, I really don't know. It's it's just crazy. Um, it, yeah, you know they've had a they've had a really, really on on I said it last week that I I do not remember Hendrick Motorsports in my life of being a NASCAR and a mo in just a motorsports fan of Hendrick Motorsports just completely crapping themselves as bad as this has been for the nine call, because the fact is the 48 wasn't a factor we got he missed the playoff then the 88 and the 24 really you know you know whatever it was about the nine and the mechanical problems and just the mental errors and whatever it it's unfathomable to me that that can happen but then I think about it in terms of what chasers for me, I like to call him by government, Clyde, is, and he's Dale Jr. You know, like, he's basically, you know, he's the anointed one, the most popular driver for the rest of his career. He's a trinket seller. People love him. He's not a bad guy. But he's, you know, he's a good driver. He's not an elite driver. Elite drivers don't make that mistake, honestly, or it doesn't happen in a big spot. A good driver is going to push and they're going to make that mistake and they're going to eliminate themselves. And that's what Chase Elliott did. He eliminated himself out of, out of this playoff. Uh, I mean, it was going to be very difficult for him to make it into the Final Four anyway, but to wreck yourself 10 laps into a 500-mile race or one of the crappiest racetracks known to man is just unthinkable. Uh, I mean, if your car is handling that bad, you're better off going and hitting the damn thing going two laps down and taking your chances and trying to go take a couple wave around to get yourself back into it. Um, I don't get it. I I really don't get it. And it's going to be the thing that's going to plague Chase, uh, you know, for the rest of his career. You know, his dad was a legend. He's one of the greatest ever. But even he only got one championship. You know, he gave away, I mean, in 85, they gave it away. Um, because of you know reliability, they should have beaten Darrell Walter. But Chase Elliott has never been in a spot where he could, you know, kind of give things away. And I don't think he ever will be because they make the rules for Toyotas and the Fords kind of play in between that. So he has to be at a much higher level. And I think the highest he ever was was when he won his Xfinity Championship back in '14. At that level, yeah, I as much as he's a really solid driver and really good guy, I don't think he's ever performed to that high of a level ever since. And I think that's where you would have to go. He's not gonna make yeah. he's not gonna win on Sunday. He's not gonna win on Sunday. And if he does win on Sunday, got bless him. I just don't buy it. And it'll be a
1: heck of a victory if he pulls it off for sure.
2: If he does. Um, if he
1: does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, listen, I mean it, it's just you're right, it's been a head scratching year for really head scratching the last couple of years for Hendrick Motorsports in general, and you gotta wonder if this new now they they've changed the nose up a little bit on this new Camaro, you gotta wonder if that will change anything um for the Chevrolet contenders. Nine one seven, eight eight nine eight two eight zero, we got a caller here. Uh Lee in Virginia. Hello, Lee. What do you want to talk about today? Going on, Lee. I want I wanna talk about the Bubba Wallace spin uh, intentional spin on, at Texas last week um,
2: Interesting what, now Let me I've let me been... paint
1: the picture here quick Lee. Let me paint the picture here real quick Now uh, Bubba Wallace if you weren't aware On lap 243 Was the final caution of the day uh, Fox camera Excuse me SN cameras came over Panned over Looked and found a 43 car He had a, a r- left rear tire That was low uh, On the inner liner on the 43 car, and uh, it looked like all intents and purposes, Lee, that uh, Bubba Wallace had spun out himself, and really it it came in the middle of green flag pit stops that really hurt a lot of drivers, including Kyle Larson and Clint Boyer, too, in particular, that had good days going where they finished outside of top ten, arguably because of Bubba Wallace's um, spin there, and Larson was very vocal uh, after the race about it, but what were your thoughts on, on a bubble Wallace spin? You know, I I live down here in Virginia, and I don't get a lot of pleasures in this world, um, but uh, I don't like very many things. But one of the things that I truly love is sitting down and watching the NASCAR racing every weekend, and this sport to me has has given me such joy over the years. And there have been a few times where I've been very disappointed in what the what on track performance has has shown us, and one of those times was Michael Waltrip racing in Spingate at Richmond a few years ago, and this is pretty close to that. Um, you, you know, listen, you're not going to hurt the integrity of this sport, and, you know, Logano's was questionable at Martinsville two weeks ago. Bubba Wallace, that spin on Sunday was more obvious than could spin at Richmond in 2014. It was, and if I were NASCAR, and for NASCAR to not act, I think it's just – Crazy and despicable. And if I were NASCAR, I would have parked the 43 car for the remaining race in Texas, walked him, had him walk down to the to the hauler, and I would have asked him straight to his face, "Did you spin that car out on purpose?" If he lied to me, I would. If he told me the truth, I would have said, "Great, we're gonna hold a press conference on Wednesday, and you're gonna announce to the entire fan base and apologize and say you're sorry for hurting the integrity of this sport." And if he lied to me and said he didn't spin the car out on purpose. I would have said, okay, Bubba, we don't want to see you till Homestead. You're suspended for Phoenix as well. This stuff needs – you want it to end? That's how it ends. We're in the middle of a playoff race here that a lot of fans don't really like the playoffs, but some of them do. But if we're going to have a playoff race, it's got to be – got to have some integrity, and you can't have drivers spinning cars out on purpose to get a caution to benefit themselves. We already went through this with Spingate five years ago, and I thought, you know what? six years ago. You know what? That made that made, they made a statement, now. and it was over. It was over. Guess what? We're back to it now. I know it wasn't team owners, and I know there was no radio communication, but that's exactly what happened. He spun that car out on purpose, and he got away with it, and I'm disappointed in NASCAR for it, for letting him get Let away me. with it. Because Now what's going to happen is somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to do it. One of these could do it these next two weeks here at Phoenix and at Homestead and say, well, you didn't put you didn't knock the forty three car out for doing that. Where is it going draw the line and that's why you have I'll to draw open this the line up when you see this stuff happen? It it's a very fair point and I'll open this up to Philip yeah. after you, I Just want to get your opinion on this. You're you're obviously very annoyed by what Bubba Wallace did. If this was a playoff driver, let's say, you know, uh Kyle Bush or uh Kyle Larson even. And they had a situation like Bubba Wallace where they had a left rear going down, and they were like, oh crap, this is, you know, for example, this weekend at Phoenix, hey, I'm I'm going to miss these playoffs. And they do exactly what Bubba Wallace did. Do you think it's worse than what Bubba Wallace did, or do you think it's the same? You know, because then you're starting to, you know, penalize different drivers who are in different stages of the race, in different stages of, of the season. <laughs> For the, for the same exact infraction. Um, and you know They're not going to have a choice. I, I agree they're with gonna do, They're going to have to do that. They're not going to have right. a choice. And that's why it looks terrible. If you didn't do it after Texas. That's why it looks terrible. Logano got away with it. It was questionable. I think he did it, Logano. He got away with it. There is absolutely no question in my mind Bubba did it on Sunday, and he should not have gotten away with it. They should have nipped it in the butt. I'll open up to you, Philip. You know, I'm not sure how you feel about this. Obviously, he's very annoyed about it, but it, it, do you think it would change anything, in your opinion, if this was a playoff driver that did it? You know, that, that's where I, I look at this and yeah. say, this is where we're going to have to really pay attention to this at Phoenix because, you know, you look at the points now, and, and you know, Denny Hamlin crashed and put himself 20 points up, but let's say, you know, Hamlin has a really good Phoenix and he starts to catch Joey Logano. Who's the next driver there? And Joey's just having a, a terrible, um, you know, green flag run. drops to twentieth, and all of a sudden, those points start to drop, like we saw with his teammate Brad Keselowski a few weeks back. And all of a yeah. sudden, he's two points back, and he says, "Crap, my car's not handling good. I'm going to spin out on purpose. I'm going to. I need a caution." And all of a sudden, we see that twenty two car spin out. Um, that's a major problem, Philip.
2: Yeah. No, I mean I give Lee credit. As- I mean I understand the frustration and it's been one of the big stories of the week which tells you how bad Texas Motor Speedway racing is in general um but in its own right I was talking about this I've talked about it on Twitter and Facebook and whatever not and not specifically to Bubba's incident but the fact is there are times when they'll throw the caution literally before the incident ever happens, and then there's going to be times where they're going to let it go, just because of who it is. There, there was it never was an issue many years ago. If if there was an accident on the racetrack, so look, they would go and NASCAR's call a caution. Yeah, NASCAR's that is NASCAR's job. job, and they don't. There yep. and there's two things that I've said for years, and I will stick with them. Until the until the day I die, they are consistently inconsistent and they're selective enforcement. You want to go and stop this? You call like Lee wants to go and penalize Bubba. Okay, fine. Give him a freaking five lap penalty or park him for the freaking rest of the race. You know, No Neck did it years ago at Martinsville or whatever. I think he got a two lap penalty. You know. If people go and run people over. They don't do anything to them. It took Matt Kenseth losing his freaking mind on Joey Logano, and then they went. benching. bench You know they don't have they a, don't have a consistent a
1: rule now after the spin gate, and that is against the integrity of it. And and listen, yeah, NASCAR's job probably. is to choose, NASCAR chooses whether or not to call those cautions, and that they have to answer for that. But they're the police. The police can choose whether or not to write you a ticket but you're still breaking the law. And and that's the thing. Sometimes you get away with breaking the law, and sometimes you don't. They shouldn't he should not have gotten away with it. That's on NASCAR for, you know, whether or not they want to call the caution or not and, and select you're right. They're selective in cautions. That's got nothing to do with what's going on here. They threw a caution because a car spun out. Because they called it in the in the it, they did the right thing. They should have called the caution there. The problem was he spun they it have out on to her
2: because her. he would have if they left it out there, he would have had to go and Move his race car. There's times when they call yeah, full course yellows on road course races. They in the call. door,
1: You'd be hearing everybody go ballistic about it.
2: Well, they've done that too. So it's not like it's It. They they they've done that too over time. You know, 28 years they've done that. They've let Dale Jarrett sit there in the middle of the racetrack at Martinsville, which is the reason why they don't race back to the caution anymore. They're going they they go to let him go that. That's
1: why they were racing back to the yellow. Well,
2: but the point I'm trying to make is this: they're not going. They, they don't they don't know how to make. A, they don't call it the same for every single person. That's part of the problem. That they wanted to it in the cook. Do you
1: think that that's what? Do you think we're we're talking about selective policing here, and the fact that it was Bubble Wallace? Maybe if it was another no. race car driver we wouldn't and it wasn't a minority driver, would we not have would we have a penalty here?
2: Oh black. I, don't I don't know. Know. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's driving the 343 car. Oh, I
1: don't if know. If we're gonna go down
2: right? that road it's we're going down, I don't going down.
1: Going we're going down. I don't understand how this is selective enforcement then. It's got nothing to do with selective enforcement. It's got something to do with you, you have a penalty out there. You have a rule that went out at Richmond a few years ago with drivers intentionally spinning race cars, one of the biggest black eyes in the history of this sport. And you're allowing it to go on again at Texas Motor Speedway regardless they don't, of this Because
2: you got people like Steve O'Donnell running the sport, and they, they don't give a crap, and they don't respect the people that are – they don't respect the fans. They don't hey, respect I'm, what's going I'm, on. I'm with
1: you. I'm with you that they're wrong in this. They're wrong in this, but Bubba's wrong in this too, and he should—he definitely spun that card I the,
2: agree. I'm not trying to defend been, the first guy. Park. I mean, go park him. That's what they should have done. But I, it's like, you could have parked him for giving up five lap penalties. They could have done that too. They could have done any number of things. They did not do anything. Why? Because that's what they are.
1: Well, it's it's wrong, unfortunately, and I hope it doesn't play major factor in that these re- playoff races here going forward, because now you've created a precedent. With these drivers who are going to point to this incident with the 43 car now and go, you didn't penalize them for this, you didn't penalize them for that, and that's what's always happened in this sport. That's why I don't like when things don't get called, and, and because now you're going to see drivers go, oh, well, you know, you didn't call on Bubba Wallace, and that was blatantly obvious. I had a tire going down. That could that could create havoc. I hope it doesn't, and I don't think it's going to, but you never know. Like Clayton was saying, you know, somebody has a tough race and they're in desperate times. They could do something crazy in the middle of a race and go, eh, I was blowing t- I had a fly- I was on my inner liner. I sure hope that's not the case in the final two weeks because that could really throw a black eye yeah. on a good championship run going forward here.
2: They don't want to have an inner liner this week, I don't think, Rick, because it's, it's only over over a mile length that they have the inner liner. But... Uh, well, and Homestead. Like, yeah, Homestead, well, you know, they, they throw caution so that non playoff drivers don't have a chance to win, so that's happened. So <laughs> we can get into
1: that. No doubt no doubt about that that's happened. I I think we can all agree with that for sure. Uh listen, it it is certainly an issue I think unfortunately and, and this is where I kinda wanna get to next, it hurt Kyle Larson immensely. Larson now let me say you know, I I heard some people say it cost Kyle Larson to win, which it didn't. Carl no, well, Larson was not a, a car that was capable of winning well. the race, but he certainly was a car that was a top five to top ten race car. I think he was a a car that could have probably outran Alex Bowman towards the end of that race. You know, he finished stage one in third, and he finished stage two in fourth. So he was pretty. He was up there, but you know, he got pinned a lap down, lost his track position, was never really able to find it after that. Same with Boyer, but Boyer's a little bit different because Boyer's not in the playoffs any longer. So, but Larson, you know, probably costs him six to eight points, and when you look at that, you sit there and you go, well, you know, six points would put him at seventeen below the cutoff. You know, uh, eight points would put him at fifteen below the cutoff. And I know you're going to say, well, it's still that's still a, a very very tough task for Kyle Larson to go out there and and outrun Joey Logano by fifteen points on Sunday at at Phoenix. And you're right, but it would be a little bit more manageable for him. And uh, you know. Again, we don't know what could happen. Larson could have been in the middle of a wreck. Who knows? But uh, just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, some some guy just goes up there and, and goes over his head and takes you out, which we saw numerous times on Sunday. But you know, at the end of the day, um, it, it did call. It did hurt Kyle Larson's chance at at a, at a solid finish. I understand his frustration, and I know Dale said he, Dale Jr. was very vocal about it this week. He said, Hey, it, it happens in racing. Uh, same thing with Larson. Larson said, Hey, I, I've done it. But, you know, just because they've done it and gotten away with it doesn't mean it's right. And again, I just yeah. get concerned. And I understand where Lee's coming from. And I, I think Philip agrees with this, where, um, you know, it, you open up a can of worms with, with not that call. And, and But you also might open up, if you look at it from a different standpoint, you might open up a can of worms, too, if you make the call, where you sit there and you go, Well, you know, we think Bob Wallace did it. And then somebody you know, a fan or 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 a commentator says, Hey, uh, you know, that guy spun out on purpose, and then all of a sudden NASCAR sitting there going, Well, we didn't see it that way and you open up a a complete can of worms by you know, what we always say, you know, let's be honest, selective enforcement and uh inconsistently consistent consistently inconsistent, where we sit there and kind of question NASCAR's integrity, say, Well, you know, maybe you didn't call up because it was a certain driver for this reason. So it's 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 almost like, you know, you're fighting a double edged sword here because of, of what's going on. So it's a listen, I, I do think Bubble spun that car on purpose. I don't think there's any question about it. But you know the the difference between this and, and, and MWR's spin gate was there was just so much concrete evidence against MWR that they did it um that it really hurt. They had really no, no leg to stand on. And here Bubba can say, Well, I had a blown tire prove it. And you can say, Well, I think you did it, but there's no real hardcore evidence where, you know, the logical race fan out there knows he did it. But there's still no concrete evidence that says he did it. Where, you know, a, a jury would say, You're you know, kick him out or or sit him for the rest yeah. of the race. Something to that yeah, nature. Now I think it would have been jury, okay. Though, it would have been they've made they can make judgment calls on oh. that. And I will I'll finish one last thing on this, Clayton, is that wouldn't you, I agree with you that it would have opened up a can of worms. had they could have could have opened up the can of worms had they made the call. But it also might have been a safety net because Bubba's not in these playoffs. Bubba's not going to be affected by the playoffs. Bubba's not going to be affected by anything. It's going to fall from 23 to 26 points if you make a call like that against Bubba Wallace. I would hate to see it be a playoff driver going forward here, and you have to make a call against a playoff driver and something that's blatantly obvious like that. And the call is what costs them. The, the Advancement into Homestead That would be a can of worms So if you nipped it in the butt yeah. at Texas With a non-playoff driver Who's not affected by anything It could have went away nice and quietly If we have it happen here in the well, next two weeks And it's a playoff guy And it costs them a, an advancement to Homestead That's really ugly I'll say this one thing too And again I agree with you wholeheartedly And Maybe they should have sat there and said Just parking for the rest of the race I don't think anybody would have too big of an issue with that and just said, you know, we did penalize and we cost them a couple points. Anyway, um, you know, we always complain that NASCAR has too much say. There's too many rules now in NASCAR. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the problem in the NFL, too. If you're an NFL fan and you sit there and you watch all these 1,500 flags get thrown in a game, there's too many damn rules. Uh, and, and so you're basically putting another rule out there that said the NASCAR, make the call. And, you know, they were hands-off this time. Now, should they have been? Probably not. But Again, it's it, it's sort of you know a double-edged sword, I guess you can say. So there's a lot there's a lot we could discuss about that for sure, Lee. um And and thanks for the call. It was i uh, very passionate uh, debate there between uh, you know with with you guys and and Lee. Uh, be sure to call again. Uh, that was that was Lee in Virginia, and we have another caller here yeah. quick. And you know let's get. Let's get to real quick. I wanna I wanna discuss um the playoff situation for the Cup Series and the next series quick before we get to our next caller. Um the playoff situation is this Martin Trex Jr. and Kevin Harvick are locked into the playoffs. They've each won a race uh in this round. So they're locked into the to the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. Kyle Busch is twenty two points to the good. Logano Joey Logano is twenty points to the good. And then you have the next four outside the top four. Uh, Denny Hamlin's 20 points out after his incident at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. Kyle Larson's 23 points out. Ryan Blaney's 23 points out. And Chase Elliott, who has no chance whatsoever to advance on points, needs to win to advance. He's 78 points out of the playoffs uh, at going into Phoenix ISM Raceway, now they call it this weekend, here um, at ISM Raceway. NASCAR Xfinity Series quick. Uh, Christopher Bell won. He's locked into the playoffs. Then you got Cole Custer, 52 points to the good. He's locked in via points. Redick basically needs to start his engine. He's 38 points above above the cut line. Then you got Allgaier, who's 18 points up. You know, barring a, a major accident with Allgaier, which we've seen in the past, he should be in. But Briscoe's 18 points back. Then you got Michael Annette, 28 points back. I think he needs to win. Same thing with Austin Cindrick. And Noah Gregson's in a winner go home situation as well in the Xfinity Series right now. Uh, and... It, and it, Gander Outdoor Truck Series, real quick, I just want to paint the picture here of the playoff scenario here before we get to Phoenix. Burton Moffitt's uh, mm-hmm. up, he's first in the standings right now. Then you have Stuart Friesen, then it's Ross Chastain, and then Austin Hill, who's nine points ahead of Matt Crafton. And then Tyler Ankle's 15 points off the cutoff right now. So uh, lots of stuff going on here. a Weekend in the Gander Outdoor Truck Series at, Phoenix, at ISM Raceway. I'll never... I'll never not call it Phoenix Raceway I have some raceway here
2: <laughs> Yeah, Phoenix It's just going to be Phoenix Forever for me I, I, It's so much easier yeah, It's going to be Phoenix uh, for me Quentin in Minnesota
1: Quentin in Minnesota wants to discuss uh, Some playoffs What? Who do you think uh, Quentin, who do you think is going to make the playoffs Here in the Cup Series As I said, you know, Harvick and, um, and uh, Kyle Larson Excuse me, Harvick and Martin Shrek's Jr. are not going anywhere Kyle Larson's outside the playoffs uh, Same thing with um, Ryan Blaney Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin You have also in on points Kyle Busch And Joey Logano So who do you think are the four in the Cup Series That run And, and run for the championship at Homestead And we'll get Phillip's uh, guest on the four That run at Homestead as well
0: I would say that uh, Denny Hamlin would probably sneak in, but at whose expense? That's uh, that's my guess. Uh, will Chase Elliott eke his way in with a win? I doubt it. Um, as far as the uh, Xfinity series, I think we're looking at our top four already. And then, as far as the uh, truck series, I'm gonna say. Uh, Just what my brother said on my show last night is that Crafton's going to shove out Austin Hill. And I only say that based on uh, past years, as far as the truck series. Now, Denny Hamlin, this is why I want him in is because, uh, one of the races I was down at Miami, uh, he won. And uh of course it was another Jimmy Johnson championship year. But uh I would love to see Jimmy Johnson or excuse me <laughs> uh Denny Hamlin going for that uh going for that win at homestead. I really would. But I think that uh the story is written for the top four at Miami. Yeah.
1: How about you, Philip? Um Obviously, Harvick not going anywhere there, and at Miami, they're going to run for a championship. Uh, But six guys have a chance to run for it for two more spots. Who do you think are the next two in a cup series that advance to Homestead? I mean,
2: for me, as for a fan perspective, the nightmare scenario is Hamlin wins and Kyle Busch makes it on point, uh, which means that Toyota. Gives us three out of the top four. Uh, that seems like a very likely possibility based on history, uh, being that Kyle Busch is a defending race winner. Danny Hammonds really good at ISM Phoenix. Uh, that is the most nauseating of the options. Of course, Joey Logano. At that point, you know, I I believe Joey Logano is good enough where. He could go and if it was a heads-up battle for points, I think he'd be fine. If it was, if it wasn't one of those guys and it was for points, I have a hard time believing that. I, I, I just have a feeling either Kyle Bush or Denny. I mean, Kyle Bush hasn't done a whole lot to make people think that he's going to be on Sunday, but who knows? Maybe all of a sudden he gets motivated. Uh, but. You know, if it was a heads up battle between Kyle Bushville and Obama will wreck each other. Uh, which would be great, um, for the for the hand for the slap fighting that happen afterwards. Um and probably Denny Hamlin or Kevin Harvick or something so I mean, honestly I think the points were probably the way it looks right now for the the for the final four I think is probably gonna stay. Um, of course in the Xfinity series the big three has been established in uh, barring you know crazy uh, circumstances. I think those three guys are going to race for this championship. Chase Briscoe should be locked into this, if it weren't for Garrett Smithley um, and his mediocrity. Uh, but he does have a chance on on Saturday to go and give, to try to win and get in. Of course, all guys get on flatter and sort of retract. so it's going to be an interesting battle. After that, none of them uh, matter. Uh, the truck series, you know, uh, Brett Moffitt has been one of the best drivers. The second, for, since May, he's probably been the best driver. Uh, the second best driver has been Ross Chastain. Uh, I figure one of those two guys is going to win uh, but I do think that Matt Crafton can beat Austin Hill mainly because Matt Crafton actually is a decent race car driver. He has two Crux Series championships. It will be a Hail Mary considering all the crap that Ilmore has given them uh, for for them to go and make this uh, final four. It would be pretty cool. I would like to see Matt Crafton personally make the final four. Um I don't think Austin Hill all that great on shorter racetracks. And, you know, with Johnny Sauter being Johnny Sauter, you never know what's going to happen with him. And so under that logic, Stuart Friesen will get in quietly, minus them screwing themselves or him screwing himself. And it'll be the heads-up battle that we want, which is Brett Moffat versus Ross Chastain uh, at Homestead in a couple of Fridays from now.
0: I think Austin Hill is out. Yeah, for sure. I, I think Crafton is definitely going to give him a shove um, physically and mathematically. Uh, but, yeah, Chase Briscoe, he's definitely on my radar to sneak the spot from uh, Justin Elgar.
1: Yeah, I think that's the guy. You know, he's had a really um, – he got off to a little bit of a rocky start this year, Briscoe, and I guess you can call it sort of the, just being a rookie chalked up to oh, a rookie, but oh, cool. since, yeah, since then he's, been, he's done very well. And, um, you know, he he's, hasn't been as good as his teammate. His teammate's been sensational this year, um, but he's still had a very good year. Uh, and it's a shame that, that like you said, Philip, it comes down to sort of one race because you look at his finishes, um, you know, he's, he's finished out of the top ten since since Kentucky. He's finished out of the top ten twice. 11th at Las Vegas, and then last weekend at, at at Texas, so it's unfortunate for him that it's come down to uh, one race where a lap car, you know, I don't know what really they were thinking there, and especially had a tough weekend. He took out another car in a cup series race, too, uh, and he's really had a tough tough couple of weekends, so, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate that it, that, that had to happen, um, but I, I think there's nothing to hang your head about, and you know, you almost have to – and I'm not saying he's going to lose the championship this year, and I'm not saying he, this is one you can cough up to being a loss, but the old saying is you have to lose a championship before you win one. And, um, uh, you know, you just can't go in there in your first year and win a championship. I think that's a very tall task. I know Chase Elliott did it, but I think it's a very tall task to do that, uh, especially with a team that we really haven't seen run full-time a lot in this 98 car. Yeah. So uh, a nice job, I think, by Briscoe, and he should hang his head high for the year he's had, even if he doesn't advance. Um, you know, but when when I think about this Xfinity Series season, I just think about the disappointment that it was for Junior Motorsports. They didn't oh, get yeah. a win this year, and now there's two races left where they can really uh, get a win, but they've been very disappointing. Uh, Gregson hasn't had a great year. All guys been eh. Nets, You know, they won. Me, they won at, at Daytona. They won two, Daytona right but since then they haven't really won which i don't really consider a, a, a quote-unquote win you can say what you want but really since then they haven't had the year that they've been looking for so um you know that, that to me is the story of the Xfinity series and whether or not junior motorsports can rebound here in 2020 and have a solid year or not there um final thoughts on what you're going to see here this weekend at phoenix uh quentin before i let you go uh
0: before you go i just wanted to bring up that i think junior motorsports is stretched too thin yeah i really do and then of course reddick moved over to uh childress this year too um maybe they got to scale back that's what i think if they want to do something better going forward uh i am excited as far as uh as far as uh you know where the drivers are sitting right now, though, because he's had a good year. Gregson not getting to victory lane has kind of puzzled me. But other than that, no, I I think uh, I think Denny Hamlin's got the best shot in, to uh, advance in Cup. I think that uh, the field is going to be the same. Maybe Chase Briscoe bumping out Geyer and then of course Brett moffett shoving out Austin Hill and the trucks. Mm. Uh, we'll Not see perfect. where we're at on Monday.
1: Thanks, Quentin. That's Quentin Reed. He does the show on um on uh Blog Talk Radio as well here. So uh it's something else I want to kinda of t- touch on. I know there's a lot to unpack here in this show and that's kinda of yeah. why I'm, I'm I'm running
2: through it so quickly.
1: Uh, and I know this is something you're more familiar with, Philip, than I am. Um, you know, I'm not sure how this will work logistically as far as the IndyCar is concerned. Um, but you know, big news this weekend out of the motorsports world was Roger Penske buying IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, this Ooh. this past week, um, at least, it was announced that he that he did. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And as far as how that can affect um, the NASCAR side of things, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You know, we run a Brickyard 400. There's talk now that Roger might bring lights to Indianapolis, which would be unprecedented. Um, You know, what are your thoughts? I mean, this is a guy who has owned racetracks in the past. You know, he owned California for a while, Michigan. He uh, he owned Nazareth for a while, too. Um, What are your thoughts on, on Penske here, buying IndyCar and buying Indianapolis Motor Speedway?
2: Yeah, I mean, he went and... We, I mean, we bought Michigan Speedway, rehabbed it, uh, made it into what we basically have today, uh, the hazardous Speedway, took it from a little dirt track or a little three-quarter mile track, and made it one mile oval, which became a big-time uh, motorsport facility for nearly 20, uh, better part of 20 years and then once he sold out to um, the France family, uh, they closed the place. Uh, the fact is Roger Penske is one of the most successful businessmen uh, in the world, and his, his uh, reach goes to the point where every major brand in in the three big American companies, all the manufacturers all wanted him to be a part of them in some way, shape, or form. I don't know as much about Ford, but I know GM, and I know that Chrysler, he's had connections to both of them over time. And, of course, he currently runs Fords in NASCAR, and uh, he runs Acura. He works for Acura. He uses Acura for IMSA. And he works for Chevy in IndyCar. Uh, the the it's one of the biggest stories um, in the history of motorsports, honestly. And the joke that I posted that mother multiple people, fr- a friend of mine that isn't even a racing fan, is like, well, the guy that has owned Indianapolis Motor Speedway finally owns Indianapolis Motor Speedway because. Roger Penske has won at Indianapolis 19 times. So, I mean, I'm not counting the ridiculousness that is the Xfinity race. I think they've won at least one of those Xfinity races offhand. If not, I don't really care. Um, but they've won 19 major races at Indianapolis. There's been 100, and, 100 plus Indianapolis 500, and he's won 18 of them. And he's won the Brickyard 400 last year. It's a huge deal. And he basically reaffirmed for our show show, that the Brickyard 400 is going to exist. Um, As somebody who thinks that stock cars at Indianapolis have probably passed their usefulness, I'm not so sure. If they run the road course, I don't know. It's a grade one. FIA facility, so you, you never know. And because people run over, I mean, when it comes to stock cars on road courses, they'll run into each other, and there's some hard braking zones and those fast areas. That might be more interesting. If the Brickyard 400 was on the road course, I'd be interested again. If they're going to run Brickyard 400 on the current configuration they have with this terrible rules package, I'm not so sure. But I would trust Roger Penske do what's best for fans and for motorsport way more than I do Tony George and, you know, his family uh, based on their history uh, in recent years, at least, uh, in terms of motorsport. I mean, we're not going to talk about IndyCar because we're not an IndyCar show. and We could go and extrapolate what this really means, but it's a big deal for motorsport. It means Indianapolis is going to be in good hands. It means that uh, one of motorsports meccas is going to be in good in a good place. So, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know where Indianapolis lands next year in terms of uh, the play. I think they're going to run on July the 4th or something. So now all of a sudden I think, that July the 4th weekend race has a little bit more luster to it. It has a little bit more energy. All of a sudden, I'm not going to go, uh, but, but uh, I think that it might be a better fan experience for whoever does uh, for the July the 4th weekend at uh, Indianapolis for the Brickyard 400.
1: Yeah,
2: and, and that's, a, you know, there's not a lot he can do. I know
1: people have been saying, oh, well, you know, Um, he he'll bring maybe excitement back to Indianapolis. I just don't know what he can do as far as um, to Indianapolis. I mean, you know, uh, lights that that's a good. I mean, that's okay, but like that's only for a year or two, and then people will get over it. You know, like oh wow, lights. Yeah, we've seen you know lights at Charlotte. We've seen Daytona's been lit before, so it's not like you know anything unprecedented like they did in '92 at Charlotte. Um, so you know, there's just it, to on the NASCAR side of things, the only thing I would worry about is if how it would affect his cup series teams and I don't think it's going to at all. He said it's not going to. Um but that's really all I would I would really be concerned about, you know. Um I guess the other uh, only other thing you can probably think of is maybe how it affects with the RTA and, and maybe that um that they team up and buy a, a racetrack together and ride, but I don't I, I think I'm getting way way overthinking it and getting way over my head with that. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how well it all plays out here with in, Jozepenko in and Indianapolis. Just wanted to give it a, a a call out because it is such an important, it's such a big news as far as motorsports is concerned, but not something we really cover here on Talking in Circles. Uh, final thing here is is a couple of I guess silly season uh, question marks getting answered for us with the crew chiefs of the number 17 car for next season and the number eight car for next season. Uh, Randall Burdett, I guess I'll start with the eight car. Randall Burdett will be the crew chief over there with Tyler Reddick. He he's, he's, uh, Tyler's crew chief this season in the Xfinity series. And, um, you know, he's making a jump up with him to cup and the the crew chief of the number eight car, which was formerly the number 31 car for a lot of the last few years. I think it's been about six or seven years. I think Luke Lambert was there with Jeff Burton, even. Um, that's how long ago he goes back. He was with Ryan Newman for a long time, who now is the driver at Roush Fenner Racing. Uh, and they were looking for a new crew chief after basically saying Brian Patty will not return to that number 17 car, and they hired Luke Lambert to be with Chris Busher next season. Anything that stands out to you, Philip, I mean, to me, I look at Luke Lambert, and his, his record hasn't been great there at Roush Fenway, or excuse me, at Richard Childress Racing, but um, you know, I think he comes over to Rash Fenway as a ringing endorsement to Ryan, from Ryan Newman. Um, Newman's worked with him for a long yeah. time. I think Newman must say, was saying, hey, get this guy. And to me, if Ryan Newman, who's had a really good year in that six car, at least a lot better than what we've seen in the past for that number six car, is giving a ring and endorsement to somebody, uh, it's a good thing. So what are your thoughts on, on uh, both Randall Burdett coming up and um, also um, Luke Lambert being the crew chief of the number 17 car for 2020?
2: Yeah, yeah it's. I mean, it's good points you bring up there, right? especially with Luke Lambert. I, I wasn't, when I saw that Uh, announcement. I wasn't as keen on it, but then when you consider that it looks like Ryan Newman is trying to take that leadership role at Roush Fenway Racing. I know Mark Martin isn't as involved. I would kind of wish he was considering how forthright and how forward-thinking he is as well, Uh, but I think what Ryan Newman is doing is bringing Roush Fenway into this century, you know, bringing into the twenty you know, in the twenty twenty because we're gonna go into twenty twenty. And I think Luke Lambert, he's a great engineering mind. He that's the reason why he's a crew chief in this in this series. And when you consider that the three car changes crew chiefs, like people change socks, the fact that Luke Lambert has been the crew chief for all these years through multiple driver changes, I don't know that he really fit as well with Daniel Hamrick, I mean, that was the best comment. I also don't think that you're really getting the best of the situation uh, with with Newman, Nonak. but now that he's in a different spot, it works the same way as Scott Graves coming from Gibbs and bringing in new ideas. Luke Lambert brings the ideas of all these years at RCR, albeit they're kind of backwards like Roush, but He's worked with different drivers, who used to be at rash and also in general, and then you add him with a Chris Busher who has the kind of potential and the ability to be a stud and it could be something I wish it was I wish it was Trent Owens, honestly because I'm a mark for Trent Owens, but I think you know for j T. G. Doherty, they need to keep something there and they kept running over. It's like, okay, we're going to let go of our driver, but we're not going to let go of the crew chief. And for Ricky Stenhouse, that actually probably is a good thing. Um, Or if they move him to Ryan Priest, it could be a really good thing. Um, You know, I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be all right. They'll have to figure each other out. I think the first twelve races is going to be kind of a throwaway. Then they're going to have to really perform in that second, you know, quadrant there. Or, or second, third to really make themselves an uh, uh, an opportunity for the playoff. Uh, but the 17 car, I still believe, will be a playoff contender next year with uh, Chris Fischer and Luke Lambert. And in terms of Randall Burnett, I I honestly felt as though Luke Lambert wasn't going to keep his job, uh, mainly because the way that Tyler Reddick and 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 Randall Burnett have worked together, how well their chemistry is. You can't mess with that. And it's something that RC messed with in Cup, and he let it go, and then he tried to make it work again, and with Stockman and, and Austin Dillon, and frankly, Austin Dillon, I don't care what anyone wants to say. He's not that great. I think Stockman's a better crew chief than Austin Dillon's driver. I think if you put Danny Stockman on an Xfinity team next year, With the rumors I see is John Hunter Nemechek. I think they'll be doing just fine next year. The fact is you move Randall Burnett and they go and work together and they build something, Tyler Reddick's going to be able to perform. I don't know if he's going to be winning all kinds of races. It's RCR. It's not the way it used to be. But I think the potential is there that they can perform in time. And hopefully the sponsors stay with Tyler Reddick and they give him the time to perform. uh, Because I think that's what R.C. has to hitch his wagon to if he wants to get back to the top tier of the Cup Series. He's the closest thing to Kevin Horvick he's had since Kevin Horvick. So we'll see what happens with that.
1: Yeah, I think the the interesting point you brought up there is – and I kind of beat up an RCR last week when they announced Austin Dillon's crew chief for next season – is the fact that at Roush Fenway, they're going to bring in sets of notes there, sort of new thinking from what Richard Childress Racing has done in the last couple of years with Luke Lambert. Uh, So that's very interesting. Um, So I I always kind of like that because you still have your people in-house who know what they're doing, who know how they do things, but yet you bring in a new way to think about it, a new way to, to look at things. Um, I think that can only help an organization. Uh so for Rash Fenway, absolutely a, a a I think it's a a good move. Um especially if it's a ring endorsement for Ryan Newman. We're gonna find out what Luke Lambert is, there's no doubt about that, because to me you can only um you know, if you don't win here, it's it's over for him. Uh so yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Um again, triple header weekend this weekend at Phoenix. We'll break it all down next week here on Talking in Circles, and we'll be getting ready for Homestead. Uh, so we'll know who the playoff drivers are at, at this time next week, and we'll break it all down and get ready for the championship races here next week on Talking in Circles. Well, want thank everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?